Hello, and welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. I'm your host, Eric Fleming. Um, today is not going to be so much about headlines, although some one major headline has come through uh, since the last podcast, and that's Derek Chauvin was sentenced to over 22 years uh, for the murder of George Floyd. A lot of people felt that that wasn't enough. I think the max may have been 30 years. Uh, He'll be eligible for parole in 15 years. Um, And I get that, you know, uh, because it was such an emotional moment, especially for African-Americans. Now, I don't know. I think most white Americans get it. Judging by comments and all that, I think everybody as a whole is relieved that uh, Chauvin was found guilty, first of all, and and now that he's been punished. And it kind of only shows that Minnesota is the only state that will really put police officers in jail, right? Um, Because the two big cases, the the person of color, the police officer who shot the white woman who was about to get married and killed her thinking she was the intruder and turned out she was the one who called the police there. Um, That was in Minnesota. And uh, Derek Chauvin, of course. And unfortunately, the officer that killed Philando Castile did not go to jail. But Nonetheless, that happened. Uh, He will be in jail. I don't know what kind of message he was trying to send when he had his chance to make a statement. Uh, More will come out. Nobody cares. I just be honest, nobody cares whatever kind of circus you want to put on at this point. You're right there along with Charles Manson and all these other people that are in prison now that are trying to seek attention. Um, You know, George Zimmerman got off and he's been laying low for a while. So, you know, but that's not what I really wanted to talk about today although it kind of touches on it a little bit because of the reaction. And and this is really a, a more personal thing for me that I want to talk about because it's something I had to do for almost a decade and even a little bit before and after based on the jobs that I've had and the causes that I got behind. Um. There's three 
I think there's three things that a black person who seeks to be in leadership, especially in the political arena, there's three things that they need to basically have an understanding on. Um, if they want to be effective, right? Um, and I, the first one is be your own person, right? The second one is to understand where you are, understand your role. And the third thing is to follow a basic rule of government with an added responsibility to it. And that's do no harm, but by all means uplift, right? And I want to talk about the second one first. Because it's something that I tried to preach to people. And and one of the stories I like to tell, and I like to tell a lot of stories about my time in office. One of the stories I like to tell is we were having a dedication. And I may have mentioned in a previous podcast that people that know me have heard me tell the story. And whenever I've been given a chance to give speeches and talk about politics, I like to bring that out. Um, because it was a moment of pride for me. Um, so we're at this dedication. Um, they were dedicating the the renaming of the post office in Jackson, Mississippi, the main post office after Megar Evers, uh, civil rights leader who was murdered by Byron de la Beckwith in the driveway of his house. Right. And during that, well, at the end of the ceremony, everybody's kind of leaving. And it just so happened that I ran across two former special agents in charge of the FBI for Jackson, Mississippi, and basically for the state of Mississippi, right? Which a lot of people were like, well, you know, Mississippi, but actually that's because of the civil rights stuff. It's, it's considered one of the more prestigious positions in the FBI from a historical perspective. And so there was two guys who were there and uh, they happened to see me walking past them and they stopped their conversation and asked me to come over. And the guy who, I think he was still the special agent in charge at that time, looked at me and said, You know, representative, we just wanted to tell you that uh, out of all the politicians we've noticed in the state, 
we've noticed that your name has never came across our desk for anything. Now, clearly I'm not the only one. I mean, there's thousands of elected officials in Mississippi, right? And only a handful of people get indicted or investigated. Um, but there were some things going on at the time, uh, especially with a lot of the local politicians in Jackson, um, that had gotten their attention. And so them knowing how outspoken I, I, had, had, I had been during my time there and how visible I've been and how many relationships I've interacted with, with any people that they've even investigated. Uh, they felt that they needed to say that to me. And my response was very quick and said, and you never will, right? And we went on and talked about a couple other things, but that part of the conversation stood out because it was a recognition, right? It was a recognition of the fact that here's somebody that they knew was high profile. They knew that was in the community that knew that was interactive with a lot of the major players. And, uh, I felt that that was in their own kind of way, accommodation. Uh, the fact that I had not been entangled in anything controversial and all that stuff. And I, and I had a friend that worked at the FBI. I used to joke with her all the time. And I used to tell her, if my neighbor comes up, you need to let me know. She said, I can't tell you that. I said, well, you, you need to figure out a way <laughs> because I need to be ready to defend that, right? You know, I don't want to be blindsided by that one. But it was a joke because I, would, I really hadn't been involved in anything. And so that was kind of a confirmation of that. And I, and I took pride in that because I, I used to tell people all the time that being in politics, once you get in and you're around people in the political world, you can see where that rabbit hole can lead, right? You can see when you cross that line, how you can never come back. And I think it's really, really important for black people that get into politics to really understand that. Now, like I said, there have been a lot of people with integrity that's black that served, right? But when you look at the numbers and you look at when you look at how many people get indicted and you look at the percentages of black black people that are elected, you see that as really a disproportionately high number of to me of black people that get indicted for something. And I think those numbers are dropping as we become more politically sophisticated because again, I'm 56 
and I am as old as the Voting Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act of 65. That really kind of opened the door for thousands of black men and women, especially in the South, to be elected. Um, And we have a generation of people that don't really understand that because a lot of them live in major cities. So most of the elected officials that they see, their mayors are African-American. And they treat them like they would treat any other politician or public figure. And they can't even fathom a time when a black politician was like a jackalope, right? This is something rare that you would hardly ever see. Um, They can't imagine a time when we couldn't even vote, right? all this talk about voter suppression and what's going on uh, 60 years ago was a lot worse, much worse. Um, At least now we have laws to kind of back that up. But prior to that, we didn't, we didn't have any kind of protection. Uh, And it just took battles on the street and in the courthouse and eventually at the Capitol to remedy that part and open some doors. But I always was afraid that, and that was something that people talked about in the, uh, eras like in reconstruction and all that, that what they were afraid that black leadership, political leadership would evolve into. And we have machine politics. Don't, don't get it twisted. There's black people that understand the game enough where they've built political coalitions that get elected. Uh, Jackson, Mississippi, Atlanta, Georgia, Chicago, Illinois, doesn't matter. I mean, people build coalitions. That's how you win elections for the most part. Uh, And those who are able to sustain those coalitions basically have a mini machine. Nothing like Tammany House in New York or, you know, what Mayor Daley had in Chicago, but, or Kansas City even, but it's pretty. It's about the same kind of principle behind it. Um, It's not a whole lot of patronage involved in it, but there's benefits. And so when you have those kind of coalitions, you, you open a door for people who don't really have the character or don't really have the moral boundaries uh, to be in that circle and you can be affected by it in the long run. So I think it's important for people, whoever they are, and I know there's a major push 
to get more black women engaged into the political process. Uh, I think that whether you're male, female, uh, whatever your identity is, whatever your cultural or racial identity is, there's a basic fundamental thing that you have to have and you have to have character. In, in, in Greek life, people talk about when you pledge an organization is that you make the letters, the letters don't make you, right? So it's like, what do you bring to the organization to make it better as opposed to why you need this organization to define your life? You feel me? And so there's some people that get into politics for definition. Some people get into politics for fame. And if you really do your job and you really are engaged in what's happening, you realize that that's not what politics is, right? And so there are people, people need to have, and especially black people, they need to have a certain fortitude because your biggest criticism for the most part is gonna come from the black community because more than likely you're going to be elected in districts that are majority black. Whether it's a city council or the state legislative level, uh, even in certain cities, right? The majority of the population is black, so therefore you have to have that standard to me. And you have to understand that you have to treat people the way that you want to be treated, right? We'll get into that in a moment, but I really, really want to stress that because we're in a time now where we have an opportunity to really push the envelope even more so than we've had in the past because of all of the struggle and success that we've had in the past has laid kind of like a foundation. We have all these new tools uh, in order to reach the masses and to mobilize people. And we have people who feel as though that they're starting from scratch and they're really not. There's a lot of people out here who have experience who can give wisdom and guidance if they are willing to do it. Because I've always made that argument that leadership change in the black community should be evolutionary and not revolutionary, right? That we shouldn't have to fight to get our spot. I kind of had to based on the fact that I grew up in Chicago, but I became politically, really politically active in Mississippi. And outside of a few relatives, I didn't really have a base. I was an outsider. I didn't go to high school there. I didn't grow up there. I went to college and that was my intro to Mississippi. But I didn't have that natural thing and I had to work and I had to build that coalition and had to build my reputation in order to be able to achieve what I did. And 
And that's not easy. And that takes time. Right. And then, you know, so I kind of laugh when people say, well, you're going to run for something in Georgia. And I'm like, only been here a few years. Takes time. And based on some races already, I might be on the negative end of that conversation, but that's here nor there, right? The point I'm trying to make is that you have to understand who you are. You are, whether you want to be or not, because I remember when Charles Barkley had that commercial talking about I'm not a role model. Well, yeah, actually you were. Right. In your mindset, you weren't. And that's why you did what you did when you were like on top of your game as one of the top players in the league. But rally was you were. There were young people watching you and wanting to emulate you, especially coming from where you came from. Right. And and all of us in the public, I have to be mindful of that. Uh, and we're human, so we fall short. But the magnitude of the mistakes you can control. I'll, I'll say that. I think that you have to be conscious of everything that you do. If you're not, you'll fall into it. And I and I, and I speak from experience. It wasn't like, yeah, so I never got investigated by the FBI, but I did things that brought negative light to me, my family and, and other things and my job. And I had to overcome those things in order to be in a position where I was a respected leader, right? And is a challenge. But I wanted to devote a lot of time in talking about that because I want I want people to accept that challenge. I don't want you to shirk away from it. There's a lot of people that don't run for office because it's like, well, you know, I did some things in my past and you know, if you did anything criminal, you can't run anyway. Right? So let's let's be clear about that. In the majority of the states if you've committed a criminal offense, you're probably not eligible to vote. Therefore, you're not eligible to run. Outside of that, um, if you have something to contribute, do so. Do not be afraid to get out there. Uh, utilize the energy that you have, that you've generated from George Floyd or seeing somebody that you respected get elected and you're like, wow, this is really happening, right? It's whether Barack Obama or anybody that inspired you, then go for it. But understand that once you get in that position, that all eyes are on you and you really have to Uh, regulate yourself in that sense. And I'll leave it at that. Right? The other thing I want to touch on 
and we'll probably have to go into the other side on this one. But I want to say this particular quote. This this goes to the first point, right? And it's going to be part of the challenge. And I and that's why I wanted to do it this way because I wanted to get the character thing out first. Although I think this one is more important. That's why I said it was first about being your own person, right? And so real quick, this quote came from a guy named Edmund Burke, who said his unbiased opinion, his mature judgment, his enlightened conscience, he ought not to sacrifice to you, to any man or to any set of men living. Your representative owes you not his industry only, but his judgment and he betrays instead of serving you if he sacrifices it to your opinion. So when we come on the other side, this leads into one of the bigger challenges, right? But if you have the character thing, right? If you, if you, if you have good intentions, if you are willing to be that person out front and to be that spokesperson, to be that role model, to be that leader, then you have to understand that you, you have to be your own person. You have to be your own person. And I know that being black comes with a lot of challenges externally and internally, especially being a black person in the United States of America and the history that we're dealing with and the setting that we are in, right? But you still have to be who you are. Right. Because there's some people, if you look at it, doesn't matter what. And and that's part of the issue that I want to delve into. It doesn't matter what political party you're affiliated with or what philosophy. You have to you have to be your own person. You have to be able to think for yourself. You have to educate yourself. Right. You have to be knowledgeable about the job that you have and the impact that decisions that you make will have, right? And, and if you do that, if you, if you have a mindset, then you, then you have to stand. Right. You have to. You have to, at times. Come across as if you're following your own drum. Beat. Right. Um, Because there's a lot of pressure. From us. For our leaders. Um, There's a lot of pressure that we in the community, there's a lot of expectations. There's a lot of hopes that we have 
that we put on people who elevate themselves or are elevated by the community even to take on a leadership role uh, and to be outspoken. And sometimes when you speak out, you're not the most popular person in the room if you stay true to yourself. So let's cut that off here and I'll catch you on the other side and we'll finish that up. And so we're back and just to kind of recap, I said there were three objectives, right? Uh, the second objective we already talked about is understanding the magnitude of your role, right? The first objective is what we were talking about is that be your own person. And that a lot of times you're going to say things, or you're going to do things that Black folks ain't going to quite understand. Um, for example, when Barack Obama was running for president, he gave this speech, and I forget what church, it may have been Ebenezer. But he gave a speech on Father's Day about being responsible as a father and really projecting this image as a black man talking to other black men about the importance of fatherhood. And there were black people that were upset about that. And they were like going, well, why are you trying to appease white folks? That's the way they thought. That he was kind of giving one of these Bill Cosby kind of talks about black men not being responsible and da-da-da-da-da. You know, and he had already had to deal with the Jeremiah Wright situation, right? But that falls under being your own person. Because that's something, as a Black man, as a father, he really believed in. And he should have been, and I think overall, he ended up being more respected for that. But the initial feedback was like, why are you, why do you feel you have to do that? Well, he felt he had to do that because of the magnitude of the position he was running for. And the fact that they asked him to speak at a Father's Day service, he wanted to talk about fatherhood, right? Just like when the Jeremiah Wright situation hit, you know, he had to explain what his thought process was about race. And as delicately, delicately as he could, try to basically say that, yeah, Jeremiah Wright's my preacher, but I don't necessarily agree with everything he said. Which in essence, may not have been totally true, but <laughs> based on how he has come out now, now he no longer has the burden of being president anymore, but um. I think, you know, for the most part, I think he was sincere about what he was trying to do. And and he understood the magnitude 
because these were questions that people were going to ask, primarily white people, about what kind of president would 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 we get if a black man actually got that job, right? Because a lot of the biggest fear was always some kind of incredible backlash that in four years or eight years that he could turn back 400 years of oppression, right? Just flip it on his head. And there were some black people that were kind of hoping that he would do that. And, that. and that was unrealistic fear and unrealistic expectation. And I think that as a black elected official, you have to navigate the incredible amount of hope that will be given to you or be thrust upon you in your election. Because when you run for office, you're basically, if you're running an effective campaign, if you're running a campaign that really falls under the American tradition, you want to be hopeful in how you campaign. You want to talk about your vision. You want to talk about what you want to see done, right? What you want to be able to accomplish. But reality is what it is. And when you get in there, whether you're in a body trying to navigate six other votes or you're trying to navigate 120 other votes, right? And getting a majority of those. And I still say it's tougher to get a majority of seven than it is a, tough, a majority of 120, right? Or 122, even. But reality sets in you realize that i'm just a bill is really just a song and 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 you really have to navigate other factors like personalities and history and and rules and all those kind of things to get what you want to accomplish lobbyists uh money influences which are not necessarily the same thing right lobbyists and money influence not necessarily the same but pretty close to determine how you can be successful. And, and my strategy was when I got in there was to put as many issues out there to, to discuss them and use my platform to put those issues out there. I wasn't able to get all of them passed um, and a lot of the things that I was able to get past had impacts, but not the revolutionary social change kind of things that I wish I could have done. And that was part of my motivation to run for the U.S. Senate to have a bigger platform and really, really drive those issues home. Right whether it was economic or social or educational, um, my goal was to put it out there and hope that we could effectuate some things. And that should be the goal of every politician, but, they, but they've got to be their own person. You know, if 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 your agenda is in in step with, for lack of a better term, a radical agenda, right? Okay, 
if your agenda is in line more with a conservative agenda, okay. I have always said that my ideal thing would be this to be in a situation where a black man or a black woman runs as a Democrat for president of the United States and a black man and a black woman runs as a Republican for president of the United States and they go head to head. That to me would be the ultimate uh, pinnacle of American politics to see two people of color go at it for the top job. That to me would be a big, big sign of progress. Right? Huge sign. Even more so than one of us actually winning or one of us actually being vice president to actually see two people of color, primarily two black people, be the final choices that you'd have to make to determine who would be president of the United States. I would love to see that in my lifetime. But that also means that those two people don't have the same vision, right? that they have a different strategy of how to go about achieving, which then gets to, and, and I think it's important for before I get to the third point, I, I, I think it's important for people to respect other people. I think, you know, some people go to an extreme and that's fine. You can challenge an extreme and, some people are extreme on the side that you supposedly are on. And one of the things that you realize is that once you get elected, you're automatically in the middle because you're going to realize that there are some people that supposedly you thought, thought like you that are going to come at you with some stuff. You're like, can we even feasibly do that? Right. And then there's going to be some people to the, right of you that you're going to look at and say, can we feasibly do that? Right? Is that realistic? Right? Um, and you and you have to entertain that. And I'm not just talking, you know, I mean, I'm talking party. I mean, in Mississippi, we passed the Castle Doctrine, right? The stand your ground thing. And and I was a co-sponsor on that. And, you know, we saw how it could be negatively impacted in the Trayvon Martin case. But when I was in the legislature, the people in my district wanted that because they were having a situation where at least one neighborhood, for sure, it's not several, but one neighborhood in particular, was having a problem with people coming up into their driveways and stealing their cars. And this law would allow them to see somebody trying to break in their car and they could defend their property. And so people are like, well, I'm not a fan of people who steal things from other folks, steal cars, steal money, breaking people's houses. I've never been a big fan of that. That's happened to me too many times. That's a personal thing for me. But needless to say, 
people in the community were tired of that brazenness and they wanted to legally be able to defend it. And so that's where that was. Now there were people that were like upset about that. They were people that were upset on the liberal side about the seatbelt law, that it would create another law for driving while black, right? Uh, create another category under that. And so, but the argument that I made and several others made was that you can't defend your civil rights if you're dead. If you're flying through a windshield, you can't do that. And so you will run into, if you, if you get elected, if you get into a position of leadership like that, you will run into, even if you're not elected, but you're, you're a community leader, you're going to run into people that you need their support to continue to be in the position you're in, but you're not going to agree with them all the time. They're going to come at you and you're going to, you're going to have to be man and woman enough to basically say, no, the toughest thing for a politician, a public official to say is a two letter word. No. Once you have mastered being able to say no and being able to explain why you're saying no, you, I will guarantee you that you will earn the trust of the people uh, that you represent. And I know people don't like, majority of people that probably listen to my thing don't like black Republicans especially in this era, right? Where it's like, you know, they signing off on a lot of the crazy stuff that's happening. But you have to understand that there are people who really believe it. I had a conversation recently with a young black male, right? Who is totally offended by the LGBTQ community. Totally offended. And in this day and age where you would think that this generation is more tolerant than my generation or previous generations. Here's a guy who basically has grown up in an era where they've seen the rights of LGBTQ people strengthened. And we are in pride month. And he is just like, Poof, and that you know that you that will catch you off guard, because if you think you're going to saying, well, these people are open-minded and these people are this and this generation and blah blah, and then you have somebody like that pop up in your face, and say, nah, I'm not down with that. You have to be ready for that, and you have to be your own person on it. If you believe in LGBTQ rights as a black person. You need to be able to stand up in a church and say it, right? And if you're somebody that's not in favor of that, you need to be able to stand up in a crowd of folks that are and say that. And you and you have to be honest because if you go in trying to get 100% of the vote, and that's a, that's a lofty goal to have, but if you have an opponent, that's not going to happen because the opponent is going to vote for themselves and hopefully their family members will vote for them. Right. One of the legendary U.S. senators uh, 
in Mississippi ran and he won 81 of 82 counties. And they asked him, why do you think you didn't win this particular county? He said, that was my opponent's home county and I didn't campaign in. You know? So get out of that notion of trying to please everybody. Especially black folks. And do what you want to do, right? But this gets to the third point. Doing what you want to do, the basic rule of government is do no harm. That's the least standard. That's the lowest standard that you should have as far as being an elected official or being a public leader in the black community is do no harm. Your ultimate goal is always to uplift. If you just by being you and just by being a good character, that uplifts the race, right? Because that gives just yet another example of some black man or black woman in a position of authority that does their job and does it in good character and has defined themselves as their own person that took the job seriously and was able to say no when no was needed, right? That's uplifting. But you have to have an agenda that uplifts and especially does no harm. If you if you embrace political policies, regardless of what party affiliation you're in, if you embrace political parties, part, uh, philosophies that do more harm than good. That doesn't help us. Right? Everything you do, it doesn't matter if you take a conservative approach or a liberal approach. It has to be about uplifting black people. When you're talking about a segment of the American population that is primarily in certain pockets of the United States and makes up only 12% at the most 14% of the United States population. You're, you have more and, and the unique history that we have had, right? Every person of color, every ethnic group, in the United States has had a unique history. So let's, let's be clear about that. But we know in the very fabric of American history, how unique we are, right? We have to have a mindset. Those of us who accept the manner of leadership, we have to have a mindset that we have to uplift if you believe that building capitalism and giving tax breaks to high income people will generate an economic boom for black people, if you really believe that, go for that, right? Articulate that. If you believe the opposite, articulate that. And I've told this story before, and, and, and it's, it's more important. 
it's relevant to this because in just the short version, when, when we had this class and this, I'll never forget her because I, I, you know, it was an incredible lesson. Uh, we were in school, of course, when the apartheid thing was going on in South Africa. And so our teacher decided we were going to have a debate and she picked a group of students to be pro apartheid and a group of people that were, anti-apartheid now the anti-apartheid was the sentiment of all of us in the class because we were black people <laughs> right even though we were in south africa we were black people when we part of the diaspora we felt that pain right and uh and especially our understanding of our own history here so for those of us who were chosen to be the pro-apartheid people that was a challenge but it also taught us a lesson that be able to look at somebody that looks just like you articulate a different viewpoint than you. You have to respect it and you have to be mentally focused enough to challenge it, not get emotional about it because it's very easy to call people names and put labels on folks and all that stuff. And I got into it real bad with one of my friends about the whole label thing. Uh, you know, the only label I really want to accept is that, you know, my name, Eric Fleming and everything, regardless of what political party or philosophy or fraternity I join or whatever, the bottom line is when it all comes down to is that all that experience defines Eric Fleming or Eric Fleming defines those experiences, how, whatever is appropriate. Right. And I feel that way about everybody else, you know, and so you have to, as a black person in leadership, you have to embrace that and you have to go for what you believe is in the right. But just remember to do no harm. We can't get into policies where uh, we're too lenient on folks and it creates chaos in the community. And we can't be too hard on folks and it creates chaos in the community. You, you feel what I'm saying? There's a balance. And I've always felt that from an American point of view that the preamble of the Constitution sets the tone to how to affect policy, right? Um, it's understood that we should defend the country, right? Despite whatever internal stuff that we're dealing with in the country, external forces can't, shouldn't mess with us, right? And then we have to balance legislation between individual liberty and promoting the general welfare, right? We have to secure the blessing of liberty. That's, that's, that's in the preamble. <clears throat> and they're talking about individual liberty and in securing that, but you have to balance it with promoting the general welfare. What's in the best interest of the whole of society. And so if you come across with that and then you, you, you narrow it down to protecting the individual liberties 
while promoting the general welfare of black folks, right? And defending them in the process. Always promoting, always believing in a defense against any oppression, any injustice toward black people while working out the balance and the nuance of trying to uplift them then you'll have a modicum, if not a great deal of success, being a leader, being an elected official, whatever. And I think those, those three principles are important that basically, you know, you, you have to be your own person. You have to understand the role that you have, the capacity that you have. And, and you have to, agree that whatever you do at the base does no harm, but the ultimate goal is to uplift. Right? Now, I think that that is, if you have the other two, if you have character and you have self-identity, you can achieve the uplift you will be blessed and given the opportunity to present something to uplift the community. Um, and it's, and it's really, really hard. And, and, and with all of these voices that are out there with all these mediums that allow voices to be heard in the black community now that weren't available 60 years ago. Um, I think it's even more important and there's more opportunities for us and there are more people given or elected to positions. I think it's even more incumbent that you stick to those three principles. And, 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 and block out the noise. Don't get caught up on labels or, or anything like that. And I mean, there are people that, I don't agree with, and there are some people I don't agree with vociferously, right? But I don't, if I don't understand their story, if I don't understand how they came to that conclusion, if I don't understand why they think the way they think, then the only thing I can do is respect it. And I think in order for us to, to continue to progress, and move forward that we have to respect the voices in the room and be able to say no to even our friends and to challenge anything that's harmful. Because it's one thing to respect somebody's opinion, but that doesn't mean that you neglect your duty to protect us from our own people. Right. And. You know, I, I again, it's it's a balance, but but it can be done. And I, I really hope that when we when we have these discussions, when when you hear me talk about. Issues that you understand that the basic premise for me is that I take what is thrown out there seriously enough 
to address it and generate support to fight it. Now, if I think that there's something that is harmful, like racism and white supremacy, then I'm going to challenge it because that's harm, right? Institutional racism is harmful for black people. So you speak out against that, right? Now, determining whether we should spend $80 million to upgrade the interstate system, you know, and the black and create right of ways in the black community and all that stuff. That's a debate to have, right? Policy wise, <clears throat> regardless of how you fall on that, have that debate. But when it comes down to saying, well, we're doing everything we possibly can to limit opportunities, destroy hopes and dreams and all that. You speak out against that because your ultimate goal, regardless of your political stripe, is to uplift black people. And I think if we keep that in mind, I think that if we understand our focus, that we have to identify who are who we are and 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 be on our best behavior right and and understand that our main focus is to do no harm but to, you know at the very least but uplift ultimately then i think we we will continue to do well in spite of the challenges that are out there and so I'm, I'm hopeful if, if hopefully this is a clear understanding of how I think about things and why I say what I say about things and what really defined what I tried to do. And hopefully it gives some people some inspiration that if they were thinking about getting into the political arena, that you carry that with you. Um, and I pray that you're successful. Until next time.